So Dr. Hirsch, what are your thoughts on hormone therapy for the use of prevention of chronic diseases or prevention of aging? This is a question that I get asked every once in a while, once a week, at least once a month, and sometimes several times right in a row. I have a lot of thoughts on this. This is a little controversial, but there's a lot of interesting data to have this discussion. So on today's episode, we're talking about hormone therapy to prevent chronic diseases and how it affects aging. All right, let's do it. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Good morning, my AOWs, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Thank you so much for spending the next 20 minutes with me. I love talking about menopause, hormone therapy, preventative care. So that's what we're going to be discussing in this episode. And I was inspired by this over on my Instagram. Quick plug at Heather HeatherHirschMD. If you're not already following me over on Instagram, it's definitely worth it because I let you weigh in on a lot of these topics. I let you kind of uh, send me content ideas and I really appreciate it because I love to make content based on what you are interested in. And I did this a few weeks ago and one of the responses on there was hormone therapy for, for prevention of aging and prevention of chronic disease. And at the same time, I actually had a patient come to discuss this with me in the office last week. I think this is a really interesting topic. I see a lot of people debate this. I definitely know what the uh, randomized controlled trials say, and I certainly know what the menopause uh, organization here, NAMS, their position on this is, and the United States Preventative Task Force Preventative Services opinion is. And it's wild. It's wild. So why don't we start by turning this into uh, can or should hormone therapy be used for primary prevention or can it? We'll kind of wrap both of those into there by starting with the why not and what is the argument for using it for prevention and then why we shouldn't be doing that or why some people take the stance of no, that's not what its use is. Now, let me first start off again by saying that this is quite controversial. The current evidence and the USPS Task Force Services gave hormone therapy a D recommendation for using it for primary prevention. Primary prevention, what does that mean? It means using something to prevent anything from ever happening in that category. For example, aspirin was and sometimes is in certain populations used as a primary prevention for heart disease. So you just turn 65, everyone takes a baby aspirin. And the thought was, well, there's enough data to show that if you just take a baby aspirin before you even have any heart disease, it will prevent heart disease. That's what primary prevention means. Secondary prevention, on the other hand, means once you've had a cardiovascular incident, like a heart attack, then we recommend a statin for secondary prevention. So say you've had a heart 
heart attack, it is recommended that you take a statin to prevent another heart attack. And that's called the secondary prevention. The bar for primary prevention is really high. We really would have to demonstrate that there are very little, if any, risks or downsides to using said medication to prevent any outcome. Because you're basically voluntarily taking it, or you're basically saying that the entire population is going to be safe taking this with almost no risk and a lot of benefits. So the bar for primary prevention is really high. You know, highlight this and make sure that I shout this from the rooftops and you're sure that I said this. Hormone therapy is not currently recommended by any society as primary prevention of chronic diseases or prevention of aging. It is not. Again, the USPSTS, that's the United States Task Force Preventative Services, gave it a recommendation of a letter D, which is like, you know, like grades, A, B, C, D. So D is pretty bad. Like basically the USPSTF is saying there is no evidence that we should be using this for primary prevention. And in fact, it could be harmful. Do I agree with that? I know, but that's what it says. And now let's even go a little bit more, you know, up the ladder, like the North American Menopause Society, the North American Menopause Society within NAMS, there are certainly lots of different folks, conservative folks, aggressive folks, when it comes to hormone therapy, there are some folks that just sit in the middle and follow the guidelines in no way, shape or form does NAMS recommend using hormone therapy for primary prevention of chronic diseases or aging either, but there may be some NAMS providers like me, who'd be definitely willing to engage in this conversation via via podcast or via via with patients, because there is some data to show that actually there is some benefits from hormone therapy that help to reduce chronic diseases and can help you with your overall lifespan. Okay. So NAMS as an organization and as a community would say no, that they don't recommend hormone therapy for primary prevention. So the USPSTF, and I bet if you looked anywhere for any guideline, the Endocrine Society or the British Menopause Society or the International Menopause Society, no one is going to say out loud in a position statement, because that would mean that all the doctors agree that hormone therapy should be used for primary prevention. All right, I'm going to take you down memory lane, memory lane. Okay. In the 1980s and early 1990s, when I was like four, hormone therapy was kind of used as primary prevention without really sort of knowing it, saying it. There was kind of a little bit of hand waving going on. But most women postmenopausally were offered estrogen. And what they found in the early you know, 1980s and 1990s was that women who took hormone therapy had less heart disease and lived longer compared to women that didn't. And there didn't seem to be very many risks associated with hormone therapy, right? The idea was, well, you don't make any estrogen. We're going to give you a little bit of estrogen. And there's a lot less estrogen than you used to make just a few years ago before you were menopausal. And look, prospectively, we found a lot of benefits. For a deep dive into this, definitely go back and listen to my, the WHI 20th anniversary episode. It's certainly a little manic, but there's a ton of really good data in there that explains where we are today. So in the 80s and 90s, again, hormone therapy was used shortly after menopause. Women had less cardiovascular disease and they lived longer. And in 1992, the American College of Physicians advocated for the use of hormone therapy for women after menopause. Now, I don't know if they actually said for primary prevention, but that's probably the undertone of that. Now, in 1992, I was 10, so none of this would have made any sense to me. I wasn't there. This is, 
you know, archival <laughs> and hearsay from, you know, my mentors who are older than wiser than me. But that was kind of the gist that it was used for primary prevention of heart disease. And then the randomized control trial, which was the Women's Health Initiative, took women who are on average age 62. And it wasn't until many years later that they divided the women by their age group to see if they did get benefits from hormone therapy. So what you need to know is that the women who started hormone therapy within 10 years of menopause in the Women's Health Study lived longer compared to the women who took placebo. And that was on average 3.2 years. Is that a long time? I don't know. It depends, right? In terms of cancer research, that's a really long time in terms of, you know, extending mortality. And they had reductions in cardiovascular disease. And these are facts. This is seen in the WHI. Now, this is, you know, post hoc analysis. So a real epidemiologist might certainly say that's not what this data was designed to really do. Although actually... It's very confusing. It wasn't designed to look at it via the age, but that's what they did later. But the, the Women's Health Initiative was a study, a randomized controlled trial looking at the use of hormone therapy to prevent chronic diseases. And in that they met cardiovascular disease, bone disease, and, 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 and strokes. Those are the big you know, buckets of chronic diseases. So when you, if you started within 10 years of menopause and you took Premarin or Prempro, because that's the medications that we're using here, that was the one in the study, women lived longer on average 3.2 years and had less cardiovascular disease, less diabetes and less bone loss. These are all things really tied into, you know, your length, your length of living, your, your aging. So What's interesting about this, and most people know that when the women's study came out, there was this fear about increased risk of breast cancer and, and cardiovascular incidences, which were most related to the clot, clots, the clotting clottiness that estrogen may trigger, but particularly seen in women who started hormone therapy after 10 years from their final menstrual period, or especially after 20 years of their final menstrual period. That's where the timing hypothesis comes in. So the benefits of starting within 10 years vastly outweigh the risks, especially if you use a transdermal estrogen. Data came out on that later after the WHI that that really mitigated the result, the risk of a blood clot. So all is to say what the data shows is if you take hormone therapy, within 10 years of menopause, and you go so far as to use transdermal, the benefits vastly outweigh the risks. And most people do live longer and have less cardiovascular disease. Now, when we say benefits outweigh risks, we're talking about the rest of that sentence is for women who have severe vasomotor symptoms, genitourinary syndrome of menopause, night sweats, or osteopenia right? So there's kind of this backflow so that we kind of close the loop and say, but not unless you have these things. Okay. Now, the only reason I will sort of debate this point a little bit here is because in the women's health study, only 17% of women, oh no, sorry. I was going to say 17% of women um, are were within 10 years of menopause, I believe. So the majority of women were not, but I was going to say a very low percentage of women had severe symptoms in the WHI. In fact, you were excluded from the WHI if you did have severe symptoms because the WHI was not designed to look at these of hormone therapy to control vasomotor symptoms. It was looked at, uh, it's, it's, it's primary outcome was use of hormone therapy to prevent chronic diseases. So again, 
there is data to support the fact that women who used Premarin or Prempro, who started within 10 years of menopause, actually had less cardiovascular disease, less osteoporosis, and lived longer. Now, the leading cause of death in women is by and far cardiovascular disease. 20% of women die from a cardiovascular incident. 20%. That's like one out of five. I know, it's kind of morbid sounding. Now, the thing that caused so much controversy, again, was this breast cancer data. And you've certainly, if you're a listener to the show, you've heard me talk about this a lot. But a quick summary here is that the risk of breast cancer in the women who took Premarin, estrogen only, if you had a hysterectomy, was actually statistically prevented breast cancer. So you actually had reductions in breast cancer if you took estrogen alone. In the PremPro arm, the risk was for women out of a thousand over five years who took oral PremPro. And later studies showed that different types of progestins reduce that risk even further to really essentially very similar baseline risks of getting breast cancer. Now, this is the incidence. There was data to show that the mortality from breast cancer on women who were actually in the hormone therapy group was lower compared to women who did get breast cancer who were in the placebo group. So actually, mortality was still better in the hormone therapy group, even if you were unfortunate enough to get the diagnosis of breast cancer. But that in of itself, just the word, just the fact that a couple of people got breast cancer is really enough to put the kaposh on this for being uh, used as primary prevention. And is that fair or adequate? I don't know. I, again, that could be a whole subset of this. That could be a whole sub thread of this uh, back and forth, this controversial topic. But that's pretty much what's probably the holdup, Right. Now, there was a paper that came out in 2022 showing that micronized natural progesterone or prometrium, what we call or consider sort of the bioidentical version of progesterone, is one of my least favorite words because bioidentical is a mark, bioidentical is a marketing term. It's a, it's not a real thing. It sounds very fancy and pretty, but it's just a marketing word to get you to buy something. There are some benefits to it, but again, the prometrium in combination with an estrogen did not increase the risk of breast cancer above baseline. So there's a lot of controversy as to what is the risk of breast cancer, but we're going to take this a step forward. Now, breast cancer sucks. I'm not saying it doesn't, nor do I want anyone to develop breast cancer, but the statistics are one in eight in the general population, just like the statistics for cardiovascular disease are one in five in the general population. But the survival rate of breast cancer is upwards of 97%. And the 3% mortality is very commonly associated with very late stage metastatic breast cancer, meaning breast cancer caught early at stage DCIS, 0, 1, 2, and often 3, can be treated. So we're talking about, when we're talking about primary prevention, we're not talking about thinking about you, your sister, your neighbor, your mother, your college roommate. We're talking about public health, right? So to think that 20% of women are going to die from cardiovascular disease, but very few are actually going to die of breast cancer. When you think about the benefits of hormone therapy in a public health view, reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, reducing the risk of osteoporosis, which also leads to mortality and increasing the lifespan, you could get why people say that, yeah, hormone therapy, there is certainly evidence to show that it could be used to prevent chronic diseases. 
and have better aging. You also get better hair, skin, and nails. There's data to show that women who take hormone therapy gain less weight compared to women who don't. And is estrogen the fountain of youth? Maybe. It Maybe, right? <laughs> this is very much personal and cultural and social and political. And so you can have your own opinion on that. You are totally welcome to. So there is that data. So, you know, every once in a while I give grand rounds or I have a patient just like the patient who came in yesterday and someone will say, well, Heather, now that there's so much good data about hormone therapy, do you put people on hormone therapy uh, for primary prevention or what happens if they don't have symptoms? What do you say to them? So I do enjoy having these conversations with women because I do think that they can have, you know, the right to decide. In all actuality, in all actuality, most every woman who is interested in hormone therapy for you know preventing chronic diseases or longevity actually does have some FDA-approved symptom: hot flashes, night sweats, genitourinary syndrome of menopause, or osteopenia. And so, nearly 100% of the time, I really can find an FDA indication to use hormone therapy, and I do like to do that. Because I want to make my patients really, uh, I want to make them aware of the fact that it is not FDA approved for primary prevention or to increase your lifespan. It's not. And I would, you know, I really want them to know that, right? So what would be the risks? Well, the risks would be if, you know, um, they happen to have a rare outcome of blood clot or some other bad outcome from hormone therapy, we don't want them thinking that this was completely risk-free. Although you could argue that nothing is completely risk-free. Even aspirin actually carries some risks, which is bleeding. And there's been a lot of people who've had GI bleeds and other type of bleeding from baby aspirin, which is a big reason why. It's also controversial in terms of its use for primary prevention of chronic diseases, specifically heart disease. So it's all very interesting. What are the reasons to say no? All right. So the reasons to say no is to just say, look, there is no randomized controlled trials um, looking at uh, some of the newer options like estradiol or norethindrone or estradiol and micronized natural progesterone or prometrium, you know, showing that there is primary prevention benefits and very minimal, if not any risks. The truth of this is that no matter, the truth of this actually is that there will never be another randomized controlled trial in hormone therapy, probably. I would be very surprised, and nothing surprises me, and that's because it would be deemed unethical to put people blinded on hormone therapy, right, and not knowing, because there is such a strong emotion to what if someone got breast cancer and then they thought it was from their hormone therapy. Is that true or not true? Again, that is the sub-thread of this, but the underlying sub-thread is, is boobs, it's boobs, it's, it's breast cancer. So it will be seen as unethical to ever do a randomized controlled trial. So we'll actually really never have a good way to know if hormone therapy really should be used for primary prevention. So you have to do basically your own interpretation of the data that already exists, combining the prospective trials, the ones that looked forward in the 1980s and 1990s, 
and the Women's Health Initiative post-talk analysis looking at women who are less than 10 years from menopause. Clear distinction here is if you are greater than 10 years from menopause or specifically greater than 20 years from menopause, we actually don't even see these benefits in, you know, length of lifespan or reduction in cardiovascular disease. So it really, really is honed to women who start hormone therapy shortly after their last period, particularly within 10 years. But my guess would be the earlier, probably the better. And that I mean by earlier, the better in terms of your body being really used to seeing that estrogen chemical and having less risks associated with taking it. So again, the reasons why not to, we don't have randomized controlled trials studying this. There are risks involved. And we're not saying that diagnosis of breast cancer means you're you know, just going to coast and that's risk-free. That's actually not at all the case. Uh, cancer, breast cancer diagnosis is very much going to set up the way uh, you're going to experience chronic diseases going forward, the way you're going to experience menopause, the way your bone health is going to be, the way your sexual health is going to be. So it's not to say it's completely risk-free at all. I think we could do a lot better to serve the population of women with breast cancer by expanding upon what is an acceptable quality of life and measures of treatment. But I think that's a bigger conversation that I would love to have with an oncologist or someone else in this field. So again, I doubt we will ever in my lifetime see where hormone therapy is primary prevention. We can barely get more than five to 7% of women in the United States on FDA approved hormone therapy. So we won't, but this is an interesting topic for debate. This is an interesting conversation. This is something that women should be able to expand their minds on and think about. So I guess then your question might be, what if Dr. Hirsch, you cannot find any FDA indication to prescribe hormone therapy for someone who is interested in it? Well, you'll have to come to the office to see me so that we can decide together. You know, I use a lot of shared decision-making and lots of understanding what the data really says, you know, and, and you know, there's lots of controversy online or on, you know, social media about, you know, people overestimating what hormone therapy is good for. And I think people, you know, will certainly overestimate how it's good for, you know, a good one is this dementia idea. So let's talk about this because it's a little bit of another offshoot. Hormone therapy uh, has not, uh, is not indicated to prevent dementia. There are no studies to show that it does. In the Women's Health Initiative Memory Study or the WIM study, women aged 65 and up, which is problematic in and of itself because you've already listened to my show and you know that 65 on average is, you know, 14 years after a final menstrual period, but that hormone therapy did not at all um, decrease or prevent dementia, but actually seemed to accelerate it or increase it a little bit. And that's probably via V, um, you know, the formation of blood clots causing um, neurocognitive changes, i.e., brain fog, dementia, not brain fog, but more likely, you know, related to the diagnosis of dementia. So I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong. There are people who are looking at the use of estrogen shortly after menopause to see if there is a decrease in the diagnosis of dementia, but we do not have that data yet at all. And whatever I think is less important, what we see clinically is that short term hormone therapy does seem to improve brain fog which is that trouble with memory, cognition, recall, productivity at work, forgetting things. And I'm a clinician. So I do menopause every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then, sorry, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, who cares? Mondays and Fridays, I'm, you know, doing research, answering questions, making content, all that kind of stuff. But certainly we do see an improvement in memory and brain fog and cognition in women who do start hormone therapy. If that was a symptom of theirs, you know, who are within that 10 years of menopause, certainly that's the main group of women who are going to get these extra benefits. But, you know, should we be going around saying that, you know, hormone therapy is going to prevent dementia? No. Do we know the answer yet? No, we don't. Do we have people working on it? Because it seems plausible. Yes. Do we see improvements clinically? Yes. So more to come on that. But that's another one of these offshoots of should we use hormone therapy for this? You know, more to come. Should we use hormone therapy for primary prevention? Ah, such a good question because it's so sticky. It's really, really sticky. You know, again, I really like to straddle this and I like to, you know, engage both sides. But the reality is that some women want to know and some women want to know and after knowing risks and benefits are okay with making a decision based on what the data that they have says. Some women don't want hormone therapy ever. And this is not probably not going to sway them. And some women don't have any symptoms. So, you know, there's a whole range of things. I think it's really important that people always know, at least from my standpoint, that I do not think everyone needs to be on hormone therapy. I do not think that is the only answer. And I know there are many people for whom have a contraindication, can't take it, or simply don't want to, or don't accept the risks, however big or small they might be. And that is totally fine. But I love thinking about this conversation because it definitely drives some people wild. (laughs) It drives some people wild. And they're probably, there's a textbook right answer, right? The answer is no. But then there's what happens in real life and what inquisitive minds want to know. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts about this. If you're a patient, you've been wondering this. If you're a clinician and you get this question, definitely hit me up over on Instagram. I'm at Heather Hirsch MD. If you feel so inclined, please write a quick review about the show. Share this to a friend. If you have someone else who's been like thinking about this or you've been talking about it at dinner or book club. And as soon as my book comes out, well, I'll have book club on that. Like, you know, let me know or send it to a friend who you think would find this show or this episode specifically really interesting. I thank you guys so much for being such great supporters of the show. If you haven't already considered, I have a subscriber only show. It's $3.99 a month. That really helps to support me and you get behind the scenes, behind the scenes, behind the scenes with me. You know, I love to give you behind the scenes on my podcast anyways, but you get a super deep dive of what's going on in my life back there. So consider that. And again, thank you guys so much. I'll see you next Monday for a brand new episode. Bye everyone. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Thank you.